Well, before I say a single word, I know exactly what you're thinking. He told us up there that we've already heard the best sermon today, so why are you standing there? I said, you've already heard the best sermon. I didn't say you've heard the only sermon. So we will press on. Thank you all for all that contributed to this beautiful living cross over here with all these flowers. It's a, it's a representation of the kingdom of God that each one of us can be participants in that. And all of us collectively can cause and create a beautiful thing. Boy, I'm so glad to be able to celebrate Easter together with you all this morning. Uniquely, this is only the 10th time Easter has occurred on April the 9th since 1600. And it's the first time it's been on April 9th since 1950, 73 years ago. So that means this is the first time in my wife's 63 years that her birthday has occurred on Easter. So happy birthday, hon. Got all these flowers just for you. Isn't that crazy? You never know what's going to happen on any given Sunday. So I hope you'll be here next week to see what does happen. We're starting a brand new sermon series called Highlighting the Psalms. And the reason I want you to come back is because studies on aging show that attending religious service four times per month increases your life expectancy by four to 14 years. So that's why I'm inviting you. I want to help you lengthen your longevity. Well, Easter is obviously important. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. This isn't just another Sunday. It's Easter. But then again, Sunday wouldn't be anything but just another day of the week unless it was Easter. So we understand that Easter is important. But how important is it really? The Apostle Paul identified the resurrection of Jesus Christ as, quote, most important. He specifically said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, and then he wrote the most extensive chapter on the resurrection following that. And most of us have been to the emergency room with either a friend or a family member, or we've gone there ourselves. And a very strategic protocol takes place when you arrive. You're evaluated. It's called triage. The medical team determines the seriousness of your situation, and then they establish your place in the line. Now, if you're in critical condition with a life-threatening predicament, then you become highest priority. If you cut yourself and you just need a few stitches, or maybe you have a kidney stone that's just going to have to wait until it passes, you get moved to the back of the line, even if you do feel like you're dying. The emergency room personnel understand the importance of determining what's most important to treat. And if you're the one having a heart attack, you're thankful it's not a first-come, first-serve operation. Now, whether or not we consciously realize it or not, we operate like an ER every single day. We're constantly working triage to determine what's most important because so many things are clamoring for our heart. It's a critical discipline in life because not all aspects of life are equal. Paying attention to your kids is infinitely more important than scrolling through your newsfeed. 
Being gainfully employed is more important than knowing where to buy the cheapest gas in town. And working on your, mar working on your marriage is more important than working on your golf swing, especially on days like today. So just the routine of life reminds us that there's a priority hierarchy, but it doesn't tell us what's most important. And we probably have a pretty good idea when it comes to daily decisions. But what's the one thing that's more important than everything else? Listening to a sermon about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter offers a pretty good clue. But do we really believe it's the most important thing of all? I'm hopeful that we will come to the conclusion at the end of this talk that everything else in life pales in comparison to Jesus' resurrection, and then we will live our lives accordingly, demonstrating that belief. So to get us there, we'll read what Paul said to a group of new Christians in the city of Corinth, then we'll take a brief look at Paul's life, and then we'll finish with a question that every person must ultimately answer. A few years after Jesus had risen from the dead, a very religious man named Saul became a terrorist against Christians. He himself was a Jewish leader known as a Pharisee, but he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and he felt like Jesus' followers were destroying Judaism, so he launched a full-out attack against people claiming that Jesus was alive. A year or two into his campaign to eradicate Christianity, Saul headed to Damascus to imprison even more Christians. He'd already wreaked havoc on Christians in Jerusalem, and that resulted in the public stoning of a godly man named Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, we read that Saul thought the most important thing that he could do with his life at that particular moment was to protect the coats of those who were stoning this godly man called Stephen. Saul, the coats were more important than the man. So while he was traveling to Damascus filled with rage against Christians, Jesus appeared to Saul with a blinding light and a very distinguishing voice. In Acts chapter 9, we read about it. He falls to the ground as he sees the light and he hears the voice. It was Jesus asking Saul a simple question. Why are you persecuting me? Saul had no idea who it was. So he asked, and Jesus identified himself. And in that one moment, encountering the very person he insisted had not risen from the dead, everything changed for Saul, even his name. A decade later, Saul, who was now known as the Apostle Paul, started traveling the world, helping people triage what is most important in life. It was around A.D. 50 that he came to the city of Corinth. He had previously been in Athens and gave his amazing sermon on Mars Hill that you can find in Acts chapter 17. And the difference between Athens and Corinth is significant. Athens was the intellectual hub where people went to search for truth. Corinth was where people went to search for pleasure. 
In Athens, knowledge was most important. In Corinth, pleasure was most important. And Paul came to both cities with the same message. Jesus is what's most important. Paul started a church in Corinth as people came to believe in Jesus Christ. He would then later write two letters to those new Christians in Corinth to give them guidance in their faith. It's in the first letter that we find Paul declaring what's most important. You can find it in the Pew Bible, page 1787. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. I'd like to read it. This is Paul speaking, and this is the chapter that talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the most extensive description of the resurrection in all of Scripture. And it says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, most important, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one who had been abnormally born. You see, the first four books of the New Testament all say the exact same thing. Jesus rose from the dead. That singular event in human history two millennia ago became the fact that separated Christianity from all other religions. Religious leaders have come and gone throughout the ages, and their graves have become nothing more than places of reverent mourning. But unique to Jesus, the grave is empty. So his followers celebrate what happened in that Jerusalem cemetery on that very first Easter morning. But Saul didn't believe that, so he tried to stamp out Christianity. But once he met the risen Lord, the resurrected Lord, everything else became secondary. He was forever changed for the better, and he wasn't the only one. Earlier in that first letter to the new Christians at at Corinth, Paul wrote, and this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. It's, it's such a pivotal verse when you're talking about Christianity, when you're talking about the resurrection of Christ. You can find it in the Pew Bible, page 1775. But I want to read that, because here is Paul talking to those in Corinth who used to think there's nothing more important than all the world than pleasure. They were immoral, they were sinful, they, were, they lived pretty debased lives. And he writes to them and explains about their change. He says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, he says to them. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, Paul's reason for declaring that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is most important was because it unleashes the power of God to transform lives, to change us for the better. In a city where nothing was more important than pleasure, people were transformed to celebrate holiness 
rather than immorality. Godliness instead of sin. Friends, that's miraculous. They experienced the power of God's transformation, which is infinitely better than anything we could ever do on our own. God can do more in a moment than we might do throughout all of eternity. And I paraphrase that because I read that quote several years ago, and it said God can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. That's not true. God can do more in a moment than we would be able to do throughout all of eternity. And that's why we look to him to transform our lives. Just a few weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal ran a front page story on transformation. Now, you don't get on the front page of the Wall Street Journal easily. This story was about transformation. It noted over the past few years, droughts, severe weather, and inflationary cost of water have caused a number of people to start painting their yards. And the trend is growing. Rather than trying to nurture a beautiful lawn, they simply hire companies to paint their grass green. For about $300, you can transform your yard to look like a golf course. One expert painter quoted in the article said, we don't want anybody to know it's painted. Sounds a little like, like those old Clairol commercials. One neighbor did complain though. He doesn't like the color transformation because his dog got green paint all over his paws while he was traipsing through a neighbor's yard. That's not the kind of transformation Paul was talking about. Not a paint job, not a cover-up, but a revolutionary transformation from the inside out. He said the resurrection was most important because it changed people. In Corinth, Christians had been changed from immoral, greedy, dishonest, slanderous drunks into people who loved Christ and served others. And it wasn't just for them. Paul knew it firsthand because he had invested his prime years of life with the lone enterprise of trying to kill Christians and stop Christianity. But he was so changed by what Jesus did in him that he focused all of his attention on telling people how they can discover what's most important in life. In Acts chapter 26, it records the history of Paul being on trial in Caesarea. And it was there that he explained how his life had been changed by Christ through the most important event in history, the resurrection. When he made the statement that Jesus rose from the dead, Governor Festus shouted out, you're crazy. Paul calmly replied in Acts 26, 25, I'm not crazy. I'm simply talking about what is true and reasonable. Now, to the natural mind, the resurrection isn't reasonable. In fact, it doesn't make any sense at all. The literal translation of resurrection is the standing up of a corpse. It's not the propping up, it's the standing up. It is a body that was dead, standing up, presenting itself as alive. Now, none of us have attended a funeral where that happened. But if we had, we'd never stop talking about it, and we'd probably never miss another funeral again in case it might happen again. Paul had seen a corpse stand up. 
And so had Jesus' disciples. And so had hundreds of other people. It was an established fact, and the world has never been the same since. You see, if it was a myth, it would have run its course a long time ago. Paul wrote those words fewer than 25 years after Jesus had been crucified, that this is what's most important. Virtually the same time span that separates us today from 9-11. If those planes hadn't really crashed that day, it would have easily been disproven by now. And the same is true with Jesus' resurrection. But it did happen, just as the Old Testament predicted and just as Jesus said it would happen. See, the significance of the resurrection is reiterated by Paul to a group of Christians in the city of Rome. And in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says, we're reminded that the resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It doesn't prove that he's a magician. It doesn't prove that he's a deceiver. It proves that he's the Son of God because the corpse stood up. Nobody but God could have suffered the brutality of a Roman crucifixion and then walked out of the grave three days later with omnipotent power. See, Paul was convinced that the truth about Jesus is so important, more important than anything else, because it answers the 100-year question. And what is that? What's going to be most important to you in 100 years? I know you're thinking about what you're going to do this afternoon. But what's going to be most important to you 100 years from now? That's not to say that your family, your health, job, friends, hobbies, they're not important. They are. But what's going to stand as most important to you a century from now? I, with Paul, and millions of Christians alive today, and billions of Christians who have gone before us believe that the most important thing that any of us can do with our life is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's most important now and 100 years from now. Because God can change us now, and we will be forever changed when we enter into his presence. Blaise Pascal was born 400 years ago. Uh, he lived during the time, the last time that April 9th was an Easter. 17th century French theologian, scientist, and mathematician. He was brilliant and well-educated. He noted that all rational, intelligent people should live as though God does exist rather than taking the irrational position of thinking that he doesn't. But to those he knew who were not yet convinced, he created a proposition based upon probability theory. It's known as Pascal's wager. His wager is simply this. If I live as though God exists, and it turns out he doesn't, I've lost very little in this life. But if I live as if God doesn't exist, and it turns out he does exist, then I have forfeited my eternity. It's a wager that I hope you've already embraced or that you will embrace today. You see, when we began this talk, we discussed a medical team triaging your situation someone else deciding what's most important in your life. But now we close with the opportunity for you 
to triage your own spiritual condition and make a decision for you to decide what's most important. Mark Twain famously wrote, faith is believing you know what ain't so. A lot of people think that's what Paul was talking about, but it's not. He was talking about believing in what's truly most important. A few weeks ago, someone asked me if I had any special plans for Easter. I smiled and replied, well, I'm a minister, so I guess I'll be working. (laughs) I then went on to explain that Easter is of ultimate importance, or we should use everything in our life to fight against it. I referenced John 14, 6, in which Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because those words clarify exactly what Paul said was most important. With one statement, Jesus put all of humanity on the horns of a dilemma. We either choose to believe he's right and recognize that what's most important in life is him, his resurrection, and our relationship to him, or we despise him as the worst deceiver who has ever lived. We came here this morning on Easter for a very nice, pleasant gathering together. And I don't want to ruin it. Maybe I already have. But I do want to speak the truth. A truth that too often times we won't really embrace. And this is the truth. This is how I explain, explain this to this friend that I was talking to. We either bow down to Jesus Christ as Lord and surrender our life and live as if he's most important, or here's where it gets a little messy. Or we should run outside and curse his name as loud as we can. There's no third option. And for a lot of people, we try to live in the in-between. I'm not really sure he's the risen Christ that you talk about, but I don't think he was that bad of a guy. But if he came and said that he was the only way and he wasn't, he's the worst deceiver who has ever lived. Jesus is either divine or he's despicable. There's no third option. So this morning, my hope is that you will declare Jesus Christ as what is most important to you, and you will live like it, or you will recognize as you leave here that everything else in life is more important than Christ. And I know for some of you, you think, I would like to, but listen, I was there this morning. I kind of watched how you guys sing, and this just doesn't seem like that exciting of a place. And you think of heaven being no different than what maybe you experienced this morning. Let me back it up with a brief story that maybe explains how you think of heaven. Three-year-old Dina was trying to understand the loss of her great-grandmother. And so the family repeatedly told her that she had gone to heaven. When they arrived at the funeral home, Dina saw her great-grandmother in a pretty pink casket and asked, is this heaven? 
That's how a lot of people think of heaven. It's as lifeless and exciting as a funeral home. But I want to tell you, what Paul is saying and what I'm trying to say is there is nothing more exciting than following Jesus Christ as the most important one who has ever lived. I hope today that you would recognize that God loves you and he's created you to have an eternal relationship with him. That's why we're here, is that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died, was buried, was resurrected, to give us eternal life, to offer that to any that would choose to take it. Because the problem is we are separated from God by our sin. And we say, you know, I heard you talk about those people at Corinth, and yeah, they sound like bad people. I'm nothing like that. But the Bible tells us that all of us are sinners, regardless of how small our sin may seem in our own eyes. And because of that, we are separated from God, and we need a holy God to redeem us, to save us, to give us a relationship with him. That's why Jesus came. Thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. We can be like those Christians in Corinth. We can be changed for eternity by humbly repenting of our sins and completely surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to say that you can begin a relationship with Christ and start experiencing life as God intended by saying a prayer similar to this. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that as we come here on this Easter morning, regardless of what the past has been for us, we can have a brand new start with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that if any of my friends listening now have never received you as Lord and Savior, they've never claimed you as most important in their lives, that they would voice a prayer similar to this with a cry of their heart. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, thank you for the privilege that you have given us of entering into relationship with you, of embracing that what you have done is most important. And it's not something that we just carry in our back pocket, but we carry it in the dead center of our heart to recognize that you are the most important one who has ever lived. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for the privilege that we have today of celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Love you all. And thanks for listening. And for some of you, you may have made a decision to proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, much like Brady did and his, was demonstrated through baptism. If you would like help with that decision, I remind you that you'll find a card like this. It's called a communication card in front of you. You can fill that out, take it back to the connection desk right in the atrium. Someone will help you to further the direction of your decision. If you want somebody to pray with you, we'll have a, a deacon and, and their wife standing at end of each one of these aisles in the back, and you can just walk to the back, and they'll love to pray with you about any decision or any concern that you might have. I'll be standing at the cross. I'll be there to pray with anybody that would like to come. Maybe you have a decision today to say, I want to repent and turn back to Christ. Maybe you say, I want to become a member of this church. We'd invite you to go to any of these directions, use this card to make any of those decisions. 
Thank you so much for being here. We have one more chance to worship before this Easter service is over. So let's stand together. Let's sing and declare to the top of our lungs that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. darkness we were waiting without hope without night till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead was from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit in the plane now this gospel truth Jesus 
I get a hallelujah? He is risen. Now, as you're getting ready to go, quick announcement, okay? The egg hunt. Very important. Listen. Because of all the rain we've had, the grass is a little soaked out front, so we've moved it to the gym, so it's going to be in the gymnasium. Now, we're going to um, ask all the kids to stay on the slate, all right? When you get over there, stay on the slate. Don't go out on the gym floor. We have uh, two designated areas, and we need to wait and let the parents pick up the preschoolers out of the child care. So the preschoolers will have their own section and then K through sixth grade will have a section, okay? So please wait until all the kids get out there. Jana will give the signal for everybody to start. God bless you and have a great rest of your day. He is risen.